Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you now, we bow our heads before you, but also our hearts are bowed. Why? Because, Father, we come upon that very moment when you were resurrected from the grave, when the tomb was found empty. We pray, Father, that the things we learn from this account, Lord, would galvanize our faith, that it would help us to be more convinced than ever, Lord, of the reality of the faith and the reality of Jesus Christ in our lives. Father, we thank you again for your word, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. For just a few minutes, I want to share with you some insights about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want to tie it back to what we've been seeing in the media, and that is there's an awful lot of talk about power. Now, I don't mean political power necessarily, all right? I'm talking about fossil fuels, I'm talking about solar energy and all of that kind of stuff. Why? Because there are people who are genuinely frightened by the prospect that we may not have enough fuel or energy to support the life that we have today. Some of you are out there right now, you're looking at your iPhones and iPads and lily pads and all kinds of pads, right? And you're saying, what would happen if you didn't have the energy to charge those up? You would be lost. You wouldn't know what to do with yourself when you're standing there waiting for the bus or waiting for the MRT or waiting for work to start, school to start. Life would be very different without energy. But when you look at Easter, I want to look at it this way. Easter is probably the greatest demonstration of power that mankind has ever seen because it was God who exercised power to bring forth Jesus Christ and resurrect him from the dead. I have no idea how much power that must have took, but God did it. And that is an awesome thought. That's an awesome thought. So even as great as the power may be in nature with tsunamis and earthquakes and all this sort of thing, the power of God employed, uh, the power that God employed to raise Jesus Christ from the grave is even greater. But then we got to start asking ourselves then, What does this power have to do with you, 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 and me? What does that have to do with us? Well, it has a lot to do with us, as we will see in just a moment. Look at Luke chapter 24, please. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 12. Just three very quick observations. The first one is, it's the the power of the resurrection is almighty power. It is almighty power. It is God's power. Matthew chapter 28, 2 to 4, tells us that God used an earthquake and an angel to roll away the stone so that, so that the tomb could be emptied. And by the time the women had arrived at the tomb, the body was already gone, already gone. Now, there are been possible explanations of all this, and you probably have heard it. If you've been going to church at any amount of time, you've probably heard the pastor or the preacher uh, reveal some different kinds of theories and then shoot them all down. All right? I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to mention two, though, that might be of interest. Maybe Christ wasn't really dead. Maybe Christ wasn't really dead. Now, even if he wasn't really dead, if it took an earthquake and an angel to move the stone, can one guy move it? <laughs> Probably not. All right? And so, they also, the fact of, that before he was put in the tomb, before he was, cert- he was certified as dead, and it was certified by a professional soldier, a centurion. 
You don't become a centurion in the Roman army by just signing up and hanging around, all right? You had to be a professional soldier. You had to be one who's battle-hardened and battle-trained. I'll bet you the centurion knew the difference between a dead body and a live body. He would know. And he certified that Jesus Christ was dead. And that's why Pilate released the body to Joseph. And so this is probably not one of the plausible explanations. Another one that's really uh, famous is maybe the body was stolen. Maybe the body was stolen. Okay? Now, if that were true, why is it in Matthew chapter 28, verses 11 through 15, it talks about the soldiers being bribed to tell that story. You know, the story would have been plausible all by itself. But the fact that they gave a bribe actually discounted the story, you see? Because it wasn't true, all right? But they were trying to cover their basis. So really, what happened to the body of Christ? Well, the Bible comes right out and tells us. If you look at Acts chapter 5, verse 30, this is what was said. We must obey God rather than men. These were the apostles that were answering back those who were charging them. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on the cross. There were other places that we could go, but this is probably right in, right, very clear, very plain, right out in the open. It was God who raised Jesus from the dead. Now, that raises a question then. Is, is God, does God possess that kind of power? Does he, is he able to do that kind of thing? Yes, he is. We have records of his doing great and mighty things, parting the Red Sea, doing this and doing that. He does all of those things with just the power that he has. But what I'm really impressed with is the things that are said about, for, and by God himself about his attributes. For example, let me just give you a few of those. God said... And uh, God, uh, God's word says in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 13, he said it and the universe came into existence. He just said it, okay? I mean, I have trouble just trying to say one thing and get anybody to do anything. He says one thing, let it be done, and it's done, okay? That's God. He has that kind of power. God introduced himself with the Hebrew uh, title El Shaddai, El Shaddai. And what is that? It means God Almighty, all right? You're not dealing with a minor player here. You're dealing with God, God Almighty in Genesis chapter 17. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, God is described as the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. Now, you might say to yourself, yeah, but that's just what God just talking about himself. No, these were things that he revealed about himself. These are things that are said about him and what he does. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, God is presented as a source of strength and power. He says to the Ephesians, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And so uh, Paul would not have said these things just flippantly or casually. He was taking very he was taking a lot of care to make sure he chose exactly the right words to describe God. Well, what does that have to do with you and me? 
The unbelieving world is unable to understand or accept the nature of God, including his power. See, the assumption is that Jesus Christ could not have been arisen because nobody has that kind of power. No one has that kind of ability. But as we have seen from Scripture, God has that ability and much more, you see? And so this is what is put in front of us. Philosophers and free thinkers like to rationalize God as weak and as of no consequence. I wish I had a dollar for every person I've ever met who has that kind of feeling. And they say, oh, oh you're a pastor. Oh, I pity you, you know. And then you poor soul, you're putting, all, you're putting all your thoughts into a God that doesn't exist, who is feeble at, at best and is of no consequence whatsoever. That's philosophers and free thinkers. But most of the world, most of the world prefers to believe that the God of the Bible is a myth. He's a fable or a convenient figment of the imagination employed to help people cope with life's problems. Again, I wish I was able to count all the people that have answered back to me when presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ who have answered in a similar way. I said, no, 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 thanks. Uh, I'm quite capable of handling my problems. I don't, I don't need a crutch. I don't need something like that to help me. So you, you just keep your God. You keep believing what you want to believe and go your merry way. Something like that, all right? So philosophers, free thinkers, most of the world prefers to dismiss God. But to those who believe, trust, and walk with God daily, he is genuine, he is personal, and he is powerful. You see? We can't get away from that. God is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. And so this becomes a great comfort to us. And the empty tomb is evidence of God's almighty power. We keep pointing back to the empty tomb. We keep pointing back that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. God Almighty used his almighty power to resurrect Jesus from the dead. And we saw this in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 3. But on the first day of the week, in the early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But they, when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So it's very clear. Now, here's a second thought I'd like to share with you. The power of the resurrection is amazing power. It is amazing. And I know we throw that word around a lot, don't we? we you know, people say, amazing, ama amazing race, amazing chefs, amazing this, amazing that, you know. Everything's amazing. But make no doubt about it. This is amazing power. It is power beyond human comprehension. Look at verses 4 and 5. While they were perplexed, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly appeared, stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? Wow. That's a pretty astonishing statement, isn't it? But that's exactly what happened. The women themselves had sat under the teaching and preaching of Jesus, but yet they were still perplexed 
which literally means at a loss to explain what they were seeing. And so they couldn't put two and two together. They couldn't connect the dots. And so these two angels were able to help them by saying, why are you looking for the one, uh, the living one among the dead? The angels went on to remind them of what they had experienced. Look at verse 6 to 8. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? And then, and they remembered his words. Wow. Okay. The dots began to connect. Suddenly, it became clearer and clearer to them as to what was happening here. Well, the women could not contain themselves. When you look at verse 9, and they re- and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. Also, other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. To the apostles. But look at the reaction of the apostles in verse 11. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. Wow. Did you catch that? Who were they speaking to? They were speaking to the 11. They were speaking to the apostles. If anybody would get it right, wouldn't it be this group of people? You know? No, they didn't. They considered this nonsense. An empty tomb, Christ, a dead man rising from the grave. On and on and on and on. But that's what happened. And they would not believe him. The fact that the apostles themselves were unable to accept the account is very insightful. For two reasons. Insightful because people in general choose not to believe in God or the resurrection of Jesus. Okay? Now notice here. It is an act of the will and not the lack of evidence. Has that ever occurred to you? Have you ever occurred to you? You can present all the evidence for the resurrection. You can go to Scripture and show how there's consistent. You can go all in there to show how this could have happened. And you can present a sound case for the resurrection. But what? At the end of the day, as Singaporeans like to say, at the end of the day, They choose not to believe, you see. It's an act of the will. It is not the lack of evidence, okay? And then secondly, this is insightful because it shows even mature believers, like the apostles, can choose not to believe the amazing things that God is able to do and does. You know, in our own lives as believers... Whether God is opening doors or uh, opening opportunities for us or whether he's closing doors or withholding opportunities from us, even seasoned believers may choose to not believe God's awesome and amazing power is at work. It's just like all of us have this skeptic gene in us and it doesn't just disappear once we become believers. But that gene still operates. And so sometimes the mature believers are the hardest ones in the world to convince that God is at work. That God is at work. Sometimes 
one of my work involves uh, going to the hospitals or it goes to going into the presence of people who are uh, ill and, and it's a difficult time for them. And I'll go in there and, and uh, I'll say, how are you doing? And they'll tell me, oh, I'm not doing too well. It's, it's really bad. It's this and that. And, you know, and, and I'll say something like, you know, God is with you with, in this thing. And they'll look up at me suddenly with a burst of energy. That's funny. I don't feel him around here. I, I don't think he's here. I don't think he's at work. And then I'll suddenly start sharing with them. I says, well, you know, good thing you're in Singapore. That's a pretty good hospital, you know? And, you know, you got pretty good doctors, you know? And all this kind of stuff. And I start pointing out all these things to them. It's the food's not bad either. Well, not always, but the food's not bad, you know? And so they start thinking, and they start thinking, and they start thinking about all of these things that begin to fall into place. How when they got sick and they, they, I don't know, fell, or maybe they got dizzy or something like that, that something broke their fall, and, and, they didn't, and the, the injury wasn't as bad as they thought it was going to be, that it could have been, and something like, God's power is at work. But these are seasoned believers, and sometimes they refuse to believe God's power is at work. But he is, but he is, but he is, you see? And so even seasoned believers sometimes choose not to believe about the power of God at work. We must choose to believe and behave accordingly, all right? It is God's amazing resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead and is that same amazing power that will see us through the challenges in our life. All right? You got that? You got that? Now, the last thing I want to share with you, the power of the resurrection is available power. This is found in verse 11 and 12. And so we already talked about the part where this says, but these words appeared to them as nonsense and they would not believe. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. The impact of the resurrection can be seen in the reaction of the apostle, as the apostles as they looked at the empty tomb for themselves. The Gospels tell us that the apostles went to check out the tomb for themselves, but Peter was the first one in. Peter was the first one in. You know Peter, he's, he's the one that's always putting his foot in his mouth, and he's the one always going first and, you know, getting shot down first. And so Peter was the first one to poke his head into the tomb, and he found it was empty. He found it was empty. After he saw the tomb, though, he was the first one to go, go home, and what happened? He was marveling at what happened. Now, I'm going to lose a little bit of sanctified imagination here. I'm going to put myself in Peter's sandals. So I go home, and I start pondering, I start thinking, I start reflecting over what I had just seen. And he starts putting two and two together, and he says, yeah, I remember Jesus saying something about dying and rising again, and, and all this kind of stuff. Could this really be happening? Honestly, could this really be happening? And suddenly, it dawned on him, it happened. And God was behind this. And God was behind this. And it radically changed his life. Later on in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the apostles were given a promise by God, by Jesus Christ. 
Uh, and this is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, that must have been truly amazing for these guys, because they were used to just moving around in Jerusalem. And they thought, maybe that was it. That's as far as I'm going to go. And suddenly... God says, no, we're going to Judea, you're going to Samaria, you're going beyond that. <laughs> and they're saying, us? Yes, you. And the book of Acts goes on, to, uh, goes on to record the movement of the church from Jerusalem. In the book of Acts, time and, time and again, the apostles showed awesome and amazing courage and confidence. They went toe-to-toe, mano-a-mano, with religious and civil authorities, idol worshipers and false teachers and individuals and groups. Now, you might not take that as being so astounding, but remember, this, these, some of these guys were fishermen. You know, they were ordinary people. They were not high-class, highfalutin, highly educated, highly capable people. And yet the power of God descended upon them. And oftentimes when you hear them preach, the centrality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ was there. And it was not only to proclaim the truth, but it was also a motivation for themselves that they knew that the power of God was real. The power of God was real. They chose to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus as they preached the gospel. And they paid the price, enduring threats, beatings, and imprisonment. God's power sustained them and strengthened them all along the way. Now, you're sitting out there right now, and you're saying something to yourself, something like this. You're saying, yeah, of course, they were the apostles. You know, I mean, you know, they're, they're the big guys. You know, they're the real spiritual guys. What about for believers? What about for believers? Is that a power available to us? God's power will enable and strengthen believers for the rigors of life and death, physically and spiritually. The Apostle Paul spoke of the resurrection power at work in everyday life in several places. First of all, he, want, he felt that it was something that believers ought to know. They needed to know this. For example, in Ephesians chapter 1, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, he says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. When he uses the word surpassing power, that is not an accident. It is the coming together of two very powerful Greek words. Surpassing means literally throw beyond the mark or to excel and the word greatness means strong or great. And if you put these two together, what he is saying is that it is a power that is beyond measure, superabounding, and a power that is more than enough. Paul says, I want you to know this. I want you to know this, dear believer, that 
The power of God is upon you, is upon you, and you better know it. And then, he says, it's something to aim for. It is something to utilize. In Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul writes these words. He says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Paul was what? He was a Pharisee. If there were a ladder in society, he was at the top rung. And he says, I consider all that as a waste, as, a, as trash. Nothing to be considered greater than to know him and, to, and the power of his resurrection in his life. It was something that Paul wanted to experience. It was something that he wanted to live out in his life. Paul knew that God's power was available to him and other believers. But lastly, he says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, it is the power, to, it is something to live by. And he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. God wants us to know and experience his power in our lives. The same almighty, amazing, and available power that God used to resurrect Jesus from the grave. Believers have it, and they can use it. Believers are to be strengthened by the power of God. By faith, we must believe that God is for us and not against us. His strength is available to us. I cannot tell you, I cannot explain to you clearly enough or powerfully enough how many believers I meet who feel totally powerless against the trials, the tribulations, and the temptations that they face. And they just wring their hands. They just throw up their hands and say, I'm done. It's over. There's nothing I can do. They do not know. They do not strive for. They do not live by the power that God has put upon them. And that's the power, that same power that he used to resurrect Jesus from the grave. Now, there's probably several people out here, probably a size, a crowd this size. There's some people out there who, who this sounds intriguing, this sounds inviting, and they say, I'd like to have that power in my life. You have to ask yourself one key question. Are you part of the family of God? If you want God's power in your life, you need to be part of that family. Well, how can I be part of that family? How can I be counted as one of God's children? If you look at John chapter 1, verse 12, it says this. It says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Well, what does it mean I have to believe in his name? <laughs> You know, I just have to believe that there was a person named Jesus who existed? No, it's much more than that. You have to understand what Jesus did, who Jesus was and what he did. He was the Son of God. And you have to come by him by seeing what, he, what God has provided through him. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, the first step is to admit that we are sinners. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all of sin to come short of the glory of God, meaning we've fallen short of God's mark. And then 
in Romans 6, 23, we acknowledge the penalty for sinning is death, eternal separation from God. You know, nothing that we do is without consequences. Everything has a consequences. And he says here, it's eternal separation from God. And then in Romans 5, uh, uh, Romans, chapters, uh, <clears throat> Romans chapter 5, verses 8 to 10, God decided to do something about it, such as only he could do. And so in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 to 10, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Did you hear that? Christ died for us. He took our place. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Believe in Jesus. Believe what? Believe that I'm a sinner. Believe what? That I'm worthy of the wrath of God and going to die. And be eternally separated from God. Believe what? Believe that God used Jesus Christ to die on the cross for me. You see? All of these things are wound up in that. And then finally, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Where it says this. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. We have to affirm that you do believe in him. First, we, we, to, we need to believe, and that means admitting we are sinners, acknowledging the penalty for sin, accept that Christ died on the cross for us, and then affirm that you truly believed. Affirm that his death, as you've accept, that his death as the payment for your sins and you will be saved. Now, some of you might be ready. I pray so. I pray that you are ready to become part of God's family and have God's power working in your life. You can do this with a prayer similar to this one. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's the things that happened above it, that happened behind it. God, I know that I have sinned against you and I'm deserving of punishment. But Jesus Christ took the punishment that I deserve so that through faith in him, I could be forgiven. With your help, I place my trust in you for salvation. Thank you for your wonderful grace and forgiveness, the gift of eternal life. Amen. And if you need some help, please come to me after the service. I'll be more than happy to sit down with you. And if I can't do it, there are others here. Elder Jonathan will be able to help. And other elders and people here that are serving, they'll be able to help you. Now, if you've already accepted Christ as your personal Savior, you can appropriate God's power in your life daily. How? Give your life over to God. Dedicate your life to God. Give it to Him. Give it to Him. Lord, here am I. Take me. <laughs> Use me any way you please. Trust in his word. Obey him. And then, of course, pray. These things will help you to utilize and take advantage of the power of God in your life. As we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus today, understand the almighty, amazing, and available power of God behind it. 
Put your, put your faith in God and his plan of salvation through Christ and live in his strength that comes from God's power. And you know what? We'll begin to really understand what Jesus said when he said in John chapter 14, verse 19, because I live, you will live also. He lives because the power of God resurrected him. We will live because the power of God will be upon us. Now, every Easter, I go through this. My wife knows this. I said, Easter, oh my, so much pressure, you know, so much pressure. And I, I've, I've celebrated over 35 years of this. So I've, taught, I've, I've preached at least 35 years worth of Easter's, okay? And the pressure is on. The pressure is on. How can you say what people have heard before and heard it said better? How can you possibly do that? You know? And so I really start getting nervous. I start sweating. I start pleading for the power of God <laughs> to come upon me. God answered my prayer this morning. One of the dear members of our church sent me a video that they saw. And when I saw it, I was struck by its simplicity, but also its veracity. I'm going to show you this video, all right? It's called The Tomb is Empty. So would you play it, please? Sit back for a minute. It summarizes everything that I've tried to say even better. So this is amazing. Yeah, I especially love the end, baby. Do you want to tell a story? Sure. It goes like this. Jerusalem was a happening place. The holiday was called Passover. Jesus came by donkey transport. Hosanna was the password. All branches were everywhere. People called him king. Days later, nothing was the same. From grand entrance to final meal. From the mat to the garden. Purchased 37 coins. Jesus was betrayed. And Jesus was arrested. <gasps> it was just awful. The high priest and the governor interrogated Jesus. The evidence wasn't to the jet. And the whole thing was rigged. Even the crowd turned. And chanted, crucify him. Jesus was stripped. Jesus was whipped. Jesus was mocked. Jesus was tortured. A wool crown of thorns. They hung him on a cross. And it wasn't a pretty sight. Jesus cried, it is finished. And breathed his last. They laid him in a tomb. And they sealed it with a very big rock. The tomb was full. After the Sabbath, the women went to the tomb. Nothing had prepared them for the surprise that waited. The tomb was empty! The angel said to the women, don't be afraid. He's not here. He is risen. Take it out yourself. Now go tell everyone this great news. It's still good news today. That tomb is still empty. And Jesus still lives. And that's the only hope for you and me. In this crazy world that we live in, it's not complicated, really. We are the Savior. Jesus Messiah, He died for us. When I survey, He was for us. Up from the grave, He rose. He lives for us. Because He lives, so we worship Him. Oh, praise the one who paid.
what Easter is all about. Go tell everyone this great news. That tomb is so empty. Christ is risen from the dead. Trembling over death by death. Come away, come away. Come and run from the grave. Let's pray. Father in heaven, because you live, we live also. We have that assurance from you. That Lord, when we put our faith and trust in you, that when all that's done and said, when our lives on this earth is finished, we will be in your presence forever. Thank you, Lord, for this wondrous hope. And Father, may we live that hope each and every day with your power to strengthen us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let us rise as we sing.